Good morning. How's everybody doing? Oh man, that was some good worship. Thank you, Mike, for for uh, leading us this morning and the rest of the band. Um, man, uh, Larry, great last song, man. Like that's uh, that's the sermon. <laughs> that's the series, actually. What did we just sing? Right, we just sang like, and I always mess this up, so apologize for the words. But but the Lord is in this place. All I want to be where you are. Is that what it said? Some, some of that effect, right? God's presence. That's what the Torah is about. That's what, the, that's what the entire story of the Bible, of our existence, is about being in the presence of God. We were. We weren't. And he's dragging us and pulling us back. So that we will be again. That's it. And so, so as we go through this, I am going to let many of you down because I'm not going to get into the amazing, incredible biblical truths of every story. We're going through the Torah in seven weeks, okay? So just like in Romans, right? Like we're hitting wave tops here, people, okay? Like we're just going to hit like these major themes and narrative that goes across this entire, the first five books of the Bible. Because here's the danger, and I think we can all relate to this, is that back behind this wall, right, we all were there maybe at some point. We went to Sunday school, and we did the thing. And I could probably, tell, I could probably say, give me, a, give me a story from the Old Testament. And you could probably, man, drill that thing right up. And give, I mean, we could, we could probably go through all of these amazing stories. And there are incredible stories. But if we leave them as stories as lessons on morality or you know in the story of david and goliath are you david are you goliath are you the philistines are you the the cowardly israelites right like we miss what god is doing in the midst of the entire history of humanity and so my goal as we go through this is is to not dig in like that but to but to stay across right and in your small groups you're going to have some opportunities to to, to dig in in small, specific areas. Uh, and the youth will be doing this with us, just like they've done in the past. Um, but that's kind of the overall. And so, so this morning I have a task in that I need to be succinct enough in the introduction of the Torah um, that I can still get through the first part of Genesis, okay? So it's going to be, we're going to hit two sermons on Genesis, two on Exodus, one in Leviticus, one in Numbers, and one in Deuteronomy. Um, Spencer's going to be preaching in uh, Numbers, and no, yeah, which one? Who, who do I have first? Doug? Who goes first? Spencer goes first in Numbers. Where are you, Spencer? Yeah, you, numbers, right? I gave you Numbers, right? And then you're preaching on Deuteronomy. Yeah, that's that's right order. I should have, well, I have this written down, I promise you. Um, and so they're going to do that, and I, I might do, it might become eight weeks where I may may wrap it all up kind of at the end, but um, but that's it. And so this morning we're going to go through Genesis 1 through 11. Um, and then next week we're going to go 12 through 50, and then uh, we're going to hit the first part of Exodus, second part of Exodus, and, and run through it, okay? Um, I don't want you to see, like, the, the brevity of this as some sort of implying, like, a, a decrease in weight or significance. That, that's not it at all. Um, in fact, it's just the opposite, think we need to get pulled out of where where we've been as frankly as as Christians where we kind of see like 
you know, one part of the Bible we read and one part of the Bible we, we learned about in Sunday school and we kind of don't really do much with it other than when there's a reference and we go back to the Old Testament. Um, so we're going to try to break that down a bit as we go through this. Um, all that to be said, um, let me start by uh, praying. Father, we thank you for this time. And God, we just ask that you would um, help us to understand how you're working, what you've been doing since the beginning of creation, and your forbearance, and your patience, and your perseverance, but more than anything, Father, in your grace. Pray, Father, that um, as we try to wrap our minds around all of these stories and bring them under this, this massive umbrella that is your providential will in rescuing humanity. We pray, Father, you would help us to understand it and help us to grow in our worship of you and see all these things connect together for your glory. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. If I didn't get to meet you on the way in, please stop me on the way out. Um, we've got little gray connection cards up there. If you'd like us to reach out to you, I'd, I'll, you know, I'll Somebody will shoot you a text this week and just say hey and see if there's anything that we can be praying for you about or, you know, how to, how to help serve you and connect you in if you would like to be connected in this uh, community. So, um, I'm going to be preaching out of the ESV. The verses will be on the, on the, on the slides up here. We're going to start, actually, in Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 31. Um, so, if you've got your Bibles, get them out. We've got Bibles littered around the place. They've got pretty small font, but you can, uh, you can use that or you can use your phone. Um, we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 24. It says, When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, Take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, then it may be there for a witness against you. And don't, don't read past that against you part, right? Why is it against us? Because we're for us, <laughs> generally speaking. In our, in our sin and our rebellion, right? God's word stands as this thing that's, that's uh, against us often, right? Um, it's a gift to us, um, but often we find it against us. And so what, what, what the, uh, Moses says here, right, is that these are his words that he wrote down that, that came from God, right? This is inspired word of God. We're talking the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books. It's the first five books of the Jewish Bible. Um, you know, we, we talk about it in the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, that's not obviously how the Jewish Bible is, is. It's just the Jewish Bible, right? And that's what we would consider to be the Old Testament. Um, and so the, the Torah is seen as, it, it means law. And that's probably how most of us kind of think of it. Like, yeah, there's, I don't know, there's a bunch of stories and then law kind of sprinkled in. And a bunch of weird ceremonial things and temple sacrifices and feasts and all sorts of things. And, and it's kind of, seems very far removed from us, doesn't it? I mean, it, 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 it seems like I don't, I don't know what to do with this. And so this whole year we've been trying to walk through, like, e equipping us. Equipping us to, like, navigate 
the gospel? And, and how, do we, how do we communicate the gospel to people when they go, yeah, but have you read in Leviticus? And we go, uh, no, I haven't, actually. <laughs> and I don't know how to deal with that. I know, how to, I know how to deal with the truths that Jesus gives us, but I'm not exactly sure how to deal with the Torah. And so that's what our, our hope is, that as we, we get some things where we can like grab onto them, and we can understand that this is the beginning of the gospel. The gospel doesn't start in Matthew 1.1, okay? It starts in Genesis 1.1, and, and we need to see that throughout this. So if you would, turn over to John chapter 5. We'll read what Jesus said about the Torah. This is John chapter 5, verse 46. He's talking to the Pharisees. And he says, for if you believed Moses, meaning what Moses wrote, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Okay. So here you go, right? <laughs> Jesus says that Moses was writing about him. So the gospel doesn't start when Jesus comes onto the scene. The gospel started in the writings of Moses. The gospel starts at the beginning of our Bible. And then we go, go to Matthew chapter 5. We actually read this recently and how Jesus sees his role in relation to the law. Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, the Torah, the first five books, what Moses has written, the law, are pointing to something and that something is Jesus. That something is the gospel. The something is the rescue of all humanity. And so, so what, what Jesus says here is like, he's the fulfillment. Like, he's what it was all pointing to. And so we should be able to go, okay, ready? We should be able to go to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy and go, there's Jesus. And that's hard to do, is it not? I'd go, man, I didn't see the name in there anywhere. And how, where are these references? And so that's what I'm hoping that we're, we're going to see as we kind of dive through this this morning. God created us to dwell in his presence. Okay? We're going we're gonna to go through like this nice little circle thing, and we're going to bring this back up each, each week. And so hopefully we can kind of ingrain this in our minds because this is, this is the Torah, Okay? This is God's plan for humanity and where it started in Genesis, all right? So God created us to be in his presence. We see that in the Garden of Eden. We're going to spend time on that this morning, okay? We were in his presence. It was great. It was amazing. And then we fell. And how does God respond? He responds with grace. And we're going to see, and I'm going to dissect that. That's, that's Genesis part one, Okay? Chapters 1 through 11. And then he, he goes into his purpose, and he starts to reveal his purpose in the second part of Genesis. And he picks Abraham, and he walks through the, the whole family of Abraham, where, where God just chooses to, to pursue us. And so he does this, right, in the second part of Genesis. And then we see Abraham's family, and it's like failure at every turn. And failure, and failure, and failure. And so what does God do with that 
he shows us his purpose. What's the next one? Possession. <laughs> Sorry. He 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 had, he like he starts to go through this like he protects and provides for the Israelites as they go through the desert. All right, and this is the first part of Exodus. And there's this like possession. He's feeding them. He's caring for them. It's this very like beautiful picture of God like going like, you're my people. Not because they've done anything right, but because he's just chosen them to be his people. And he builds this relationship with them. And he creates this tabernacle that he like dwells close to them. And so what we see up to this first part is like we started in the presence of God. We bounced, right? We rebelled against him. And there's this, and God just keeps coming back. He's on Mount Sinai in Exodus. And then he goes into the tabernacle in the second part of this. And these words may sound weird to you. And I, I promise by the end of this, it'll make a lot more sense. But there's like this little kind of portable temple, if you will, is the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, same, same words. And so, so he's like dwelling like closer to them. He's like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm with you guys. Here's this, this relationship with you. But, but we're impure, right? We're, we're messy. And so he, what does he do? He, he establishes ways for us to be holy, to be set apart. That's Leviticus. And because we have to be holy, we have to be different. We, we cannot dwell in the presence of God and be laden with our sins. That's the problem. And so we're going to dissect that in Leviticus. But, but then you see this just sheer rebellion. It just keeps happening. Like there's this rebellion as we go through numbers where they're just doubting God's plan left and right and left and right. And even, even despite all of this other stuff that he's done. They, they just keep doubting him. And so God perseveres. God, God just continues. And he goes, I, I know this is where you're at, but we're still going. And when we get to numbers, it's, it's cool because it's like everybody jumps up against Moses. Like everybody does. Like even, even Aaron and Miriam, like, his, like people are like, you're, you're illegitimate, right? And he's like, God told me to do this. And so everybody's like trying to just break down. And all they're trying to do is to what? Get to the promised land. The land flowing with what? Milk and honey. We all know that. <laughs> you might not have even read that, but like that, we, we know this expression. And if you've ever been near th that area, like it's desert. I was going to put a picture, but I, I didn't have time. But it's just like, it's desert. And then there's these sheer cliffs of rock that go up. At like just these monument kind of rocks that pop up and then just desert. And then monument of rocks that pops up in desert. And then you get to the promised land and you see this river valley with green and all sorts of stuff. And so, yeah, right? Like this was the promised land. But it wasn't, it wasn't the promised land because of just what it provided. That was where God was going to be. They were going to be back in God's presence in this promised land. And so they, they, they've got this, right? Like they're, they're working towards this and God's persevering in this relationship with them. But the problem is, is we're weak. <laughs> and Deuteronomy shows us that it doesn't matter how many laws we have, no matter how many things that God has provided us, we just can't do it. We need our hearts changed. We need to be fundamentally changed. And that's what he leaves us with. 
the end of Deuteronomy, and he tells us this, like, if you want to be with me and in my presence, here's, here's how you're going to endure it. You're going to need a change of heart. And that's going to lead us back into his presence. And, and where do we see God's presence, right? What did we just sing? That, like, we want him to be with us. Well, wh- why? I mean, Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us, right? He, he gives us, he promises us his Holy Spirit to what? Dwell within us. You see, God's presence has always been the thing that we've been pursuing, that we need. Now, you may say, well, I don't feel like I need it. And that just goes to show how deep our rebellion and weakness is. We don't even remember how good it was. We don't remember exactly what it looks like to be in the presence of God. And so what Moses writes for us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's called the Shema, and he, and he explains how we should treat his word. And he's talking about like when you go into the promised land, you're going to have people against you. You're going to, the world, right? Like there's going to be all these things that are going to be tempting you and distracting you. And so this is what he says. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I don't think I, I think I stopped it there, but I'm going to keep going. Verse 10, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build. And houses full of all good things that you did not fill. And cisterns that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You see, that's the promise. I'm going to take you into this land. And I've built it all for you. Jesus says he goes to prepare a place for us. This isn't, this isn't here, right? The final consummation of all of this is eternity when we're back in the presence of God. He says, I don't want you to forget that I'm doing this for you. I don't want you to forget what I've been doing in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Like, I don't want you to forget all of this stuff. Because then you're going to forget who I am and what I've done. So this is where we're starting. This is the starting point as we, as we walk through the Torah. And I, and I hope that as we navigate through these things, it'll, we'll kind of put some pieces together and it'll start to make sense and we'll start to understand that it's about God's presence. And that last song we sang should be something that's on our heart all the time. I want to be with God. Because it's in his presence that everything changes. And I hope that, like, when, when we gather together, this is just a little bit, just a 
just a super small bit of what heaven will be like. Where we're together, united in Christ, worshiping God, in fellowship. The only difference is all the distractions you have in your minds right now won't be there. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. So let's turn over to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. There is so much I could talk about on, on so many different levels on all of these things. So please, like, you know, we've got those question cards over there. If there's something you want me to answer specifically or dig into, write the question down during the time of response. You can get up and do it or afterwards and just take those orange cards. You can write down your name or you cannot. I'll record a YouTube video uh, or one of the other pastors will and we'll answer it. Um, but just throw the card in the offering box back there on the wall. And, and um, you know, so if there's something you're like, you know, whatever. Some of you like to give me some tough ones, so that's good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's in the beginning. It says, out of nothing, God created something. And we can wrap our minds around that as long as the day is, right? And we just, we can't figure that out. Melissa and I were talking about this for a while the other day, and I'm like, you know, we're, she's biology degree, and so I'm like, explain to me the cell, right? And we start getting into some of these things, and, and it's just like getting deeper and deeper, and it's like, man, it's crazy that like God out of nothing creates something. And how does he do it? How does he create? With his hands? How does he create? He spoke. If that isn't like even more showing us just who God is in comparison to us, we don't speak anything into existence except strife and anger and frustration and love, I guess, right? But we don't actually create material things with voice, but God does, and, and he walks through, and he, and he steps through. Here's the six days of creation, and here's what I created, and then here's what I created, and then here's what I created. And on the sixth day, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. If you have a Bible, underline that. In our image, after our likeness, is going to come back up. First of all, notice that's the first person plural. Okay, we won't, we won't spend a ton of time on that. There's, here's the Trinity creating, right? And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Sorry, I'm still going. I don't know what verse I stopped on. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed, as on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its 
fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the, on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. We were vegetarians, people. Just in case you're curious. Pretty clear, pretty obvious. It's not where we're at now. I mean, you can be if you want, but. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. This is the end of the sixth day, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so what do we have here? We have this, this picture of this climactic creation, right? Like, like there's these other things that are being created. And we look at like the sun and the moon and the stars, and we go, wow, that's amazing. But we're the amazing piece. Is with them. It's not like an arrogant thing to say. From God's perspective, you bearing his image is amazing. That's, that's the climactic part of the creation. That's what makes the creation very good because God has, has somehow, in some way, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this one either, but like, what does it mean for us to bear the image of God? There's a lot of different ways. Actually, we'll be talking about it in the Equip series today. These are, this is great. This is so good. They're all lined up. But we're going to be talking about what, what does that mean to, to be in the image of God? Well, he says, subdue the earth, have dominion over it. That doesn't mean abuse it. Doesn't mean that. It means we're in charge of it. God delegated some sort of authority to us. And we see this, right? Wilson and I spent all day yesterday working in the yard. <laughs> Pulling weeds. All right? Thank you, Adam. Uh, Andy. Um, right? And so, and so, and so this is, and, I, and you can't help but think, in the garden, this is a kind of a side note, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this either, but like, there was work to do, but it wasn't toilsome. In fact, I think I've said this before. My, my, um, I think Ava asked, you know, was, did we not sweat before the fall? Because it says after the fall right, that now with toil and sweat, you're going to be, right? So I don't know. Was like maintaining the garden like sweatless and just fun and no weeds and like this is amazing? I don't know. It sounds intriguing. But in, in, in chapter 2, he zooms in. He zooms into this creation of man and woman, right? Like, like chapter 1 is this overview, and then chapter 2, he zooms in. And look at what he says in verse 5. This is kind of cool. When no bush, which I just got to say, I've read this a bit. But it's, I'm like, that was always in there? <laughs> Let me look at, when was this Bible written, right? Like, it's always there, and there's just these pieces that as you dig in, you're like, oh, that's so good. Listen to what he says. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So God creates, and then he's like, hold, there, there's, no, there's, there's nobody to work the ground yet. We're going we're gonna to wait for things to spring up when there's people to work the ground. I'm like, oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool, right? So, like, there's a fundamental purpose for us. It says in verse 6, And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. 
And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In your small groups, you're going to dig in, and you're going to keep reading that. And then you're going to go read Revelation 21 and 22. And you're going to go, wow, that's weird. It's almost as if God's plan is to reestablish the Garden of Eden. So I'd encourage you to go in and look at that. And if you're not in a small group, but if you are, you guys are going to be talking about it. And then look at one more thing, and we're going to skip forward a little bit. We're going to come back to it, but look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard, this is Adam and Eve, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, the second part of that verse goes, is not good, right? Like, things have happened. But that, that's describing what it was like. God was just walking in the garden. With them. Not in the heat of the day. (laughs) Not in the the Florida August. Right? In the cool of the day. So here's this just this beautiful dwelling place where where God is with man. We're working the garden. Things are good. This is where God created us to be. It's in his presence. It's not just a garden. You can plant all the gardens you want. It's not going to be that. Okay? You're not going to have God walking in the garden with you now. But you can see that there's this, there's this initial picture that God presents and says, this is where you were meant to be. And we should feel that. We should feel like foreigners, strangers. This world doesn't us, doesn't give us what we really need and want. Why? There isn't some thing that you're going to be able to buy and get eventually that's going to fill that hole. The, the hole is based on the presence of God. When we're in his presence, guess what we're going to have? Perfect joy, perfect peace, complete contentment, right? Like, that's it. But we rebelled. Adam and Eve rebelled. We rebelled. Why did we rebel? If it, if it was so good, why did they rebel? Right? I mean, I, I know we talk about this and it's common knowledge, but it's like, but really, we got to ask a question. Like, if everything was good, like, what, what, what did you want? Look at what it says in Genesis 3, 5. This is the serpent speaking to Eve. And he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. It's the only thing we didn't have. But we kind of had it, which is weird. We were his image bearers. We, right? Like, we, we kinda, that's the irony of this whole thing. They're like, we have everything we want. We have the image of God. We have the delegated authority of God. We go, yeah, but I want to be God. That was it. It was the only thing <laughs> that they didn't have. And this is what started it all and so they fall right and listen to what it says in genesis three fifteen, and and god's going through and and you're also going to dig into this in your small groups because there's like i said there's just so much so much to talk about 
So I need to probably stop saying that because it's going to be, I'm going to say that for the next seven weeks. But verse 15, he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Okay, circle that word enmity. That is the tension that we all experience in our lives with sin. We like it, but we hate it. Become addicted to it, become frustrated by it. It's always around the corner. We want to break free from it, but then we dip back into it. We hate it, but then we love it. There's this tension in our lives, right? Are you with me? Like this isn't just me, right? Like this is how we we exist. Between the offspring of Satan, right, and and us. Like we have this constant tension in our lives. And God goes, that's what this is going to be. This enmity is going to exist. And he says, and here's the cool part, right? Those words offspring, some of your versions of the Bible might say seed, it's plural. Then he shifts to the first person. And he says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Some of your Bibles might say strike. Um, It's the same word there. This is what's called the Proto-Evangelion. This is, this is the first point in the Bible that points to some sort of solution to this in the future. That like someplace in the future, right, there is this he that is going to solve the enmity problem. That's what, that's what this is pointing to. And so we, we read this and we go, okay, what, what's God doing here? In our rebellion, he doesn't, he doesn't just like wipe us off the face of the earth. Instead, he, he promises to solve the problem. He's like, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be this enmity, but I'm going to send somebody. There's going to be a solution to this. There's going to be an end to this. And we read about this, didn't we? Just last week. Turn over to Romans chapter 16, verse 20. And Paul's Closing remarks. He's writing his letter to the Romans and he says, May the God, the God of peace will soon, what? Crush Satan under your feet. There's an end to this. There's a hope. God gives us hope. In his grace. Grace is undeserved merit. We didn't deserve hope. We didn't deserve a promise. We didn't deserve some sort of solution to this. We deserved wrath and justice. Oblivion. (laughs) That's what we deserved. We took the image of God and we went, yeah, that's not enough. I'm going to start this next verse one early, but Genesis 3, 21 says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. It says that they were, they were naked and they were ashamed. When sin entered into their lives, all of a sudden they saw evil, they saw all these other things that they didn't see before frankly, that God had protected them from. It's kind of like raising kids, right? 
I want to protect them from seeing the world as it is. And you can only do that for so long. And as parents, you try to time it right <laughs> so that you're the first one introducing something, right? And you're like, ah, it's late. <laughs> but that's what God was doing. He was just trying to protect us. And then we, our eyes are opened. We can see good and evil now and what comes with it, shame. And what does God do? He provides coverings for us. He kills an animal, and he provides a covering for us. How is that not beautifully gracious? He doesn't say, see? See what you did? Now you deal with that. He doesn't. Verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. That's it. That, that's the turning point in our lives. In the existence of humanity, we are now out of the garden. And so he's setting up for us. Okay, so how do we get back into the garden? <laughs> and he puts cherubim on the outside and angels stopping us from entering back into the garden. We can't be like, hey, we're sorry. Can we come back in now? No, like we're done. And it's that whole loop. The whole loop of like how God is going to bring us back into his presence. And so then we see this descent of humanity. We see this, this rebellion just start brewing. Go, turn over to Genesis chapter 4, verse 23. As, as, as we start getting into this, right, you've got Adam and Eve, and then their sons, Cain and Abel, right? The first murder. God goes to Cain. Where's your brother? He answers arrogantly. There's jealousy. There's murder. There's, right, like there's all sorts of just gross. You're like, man, this turns south quick. Five generations later, and we get to this in Genesis 4, 23, Lamech said to his wives, first polygamist in the Bible, it says, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. He's bragging. He's boasting about his sin. He's boasting about murder, right? Like, Cain wasn't repentant for his murder, right? He was, he was repentant for the circumstances, and here you have Lamech just like, uh, don't care. Like, you, thought, you thought Cain was bad. I'm worse. And he's, and he's proud of it. We get to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What do the animals do? Right? I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Just two of us? This is, this is pervasive. And we, and we can get into it. Like, sin does not stay inside of humanity. Sin leaks out. It, it leaks out into the world, right? We saw that, right? Weeds. How does sin, 
How does rebellion against God cause weeds to grow? Right? Like this, I don't have an answer for that, but, uh, <laughs> right? Like it's pervasive, and that's the point, right? Like, like this is not just a little problem. This is a big problem. And this is where he's pointing to, and, and, and I, I'm sure I'm already going to get the question of him saying he regretted and, and all that. So we, we can talk about that later. But so here he is, and he's like, I'm going to flood the earth. We're going to start from scratch. I'm going to pick Noah. And listen, listen to this, you guys. Go to uh, Genesis chapter 8. I almost said Romans. <laughs> Genesis chapter 8, verse 2. So he floods the earth. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rains from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated. Did you know it rained for 40 days, and then they still had to wait another 110 days for land? 150 days. What does that sound like? If you go back to Genesis, what was, what was the earth made out of? What was, what was the spirit hovering over the waters? There's like this second creation, if you will, here. Look at, look at, and then look at what it says in 8.15. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and what? Be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Weren't we just here? <laughs> isn't, this what, isn't this what God told Adam and Eve to do? It's like, it's this like reset button. And then go to Genesis chapter 9, verse 2. There's a difference, though, in this creation. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. There's fear. Every moving, things that, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will requi require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you... Be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply. Amen. So we have, this, we have this new creation story. It's like the second creation story, right? The difference is we're going to eat animals now. <laughs> Steaks are fair game, okay? But, but there's more to it than that. It's not just about diet. Fear and dread now exist. So that means before, what did it look like? walking around with the animals. There was no fear because we weren't eating them. You see how pervasive sin is? And so there's this, and, and what does he describe here? Like these animals are afraid of you. Why? Because you're going to kill them and eat them. And then he talks about killing and, and blood and lifeblood and like killing other people. That wasn't in the first story. All of a sudden, there's just death. There's just a lot of death. Death is just a normal part of life now, which is ironic. 
that wasn't how it was intended to be. But now here's what we got. And so we have this constant reminder right in front of our face every time we sit down at the table to eat. We think of death. I mean, you probably don't. <laughs> Might ruin your appetite a little bit, but depending on what you eat. But there's, there's death. I mean, how morbid is that, you guys? It's, it's a result of sin. When you're eating your beautiful ribeye, it's a result of sin. I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm totally going to jack up your guys' meals for tonight. But I mean, honestly, like there, there's something to that. It's totally different now. And look at this next piece to this. So here's Noah. He comes out of the ark. Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. Awesome, good. He's doing what he should do, right? He drank of the wine, became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, walked backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. I don't want to draw too many close, like, artificially draw these things. But there's nakedness and shame again. All right? I mean, what did Ham do? Ham didn't do anything. He just didn't do anything. <laughs> he didn't try to preserve the honor and respect of his father. He went back out and was like, dude, go look at that. That's what he did. And Shem and Japheth went back in with respect and honor and did what? Provided a covering. Right? It's, it's, it's the same. You see how amazingly parallel these stories are. And what God's trying to communicate to us is that he could wipe out the earth a hundred times and sin is still going to be there. Dude, that's not the solution. The solution isn't start from scratch, grab a new person. The solution isn't, well, maybe Noah will be better than Adam, or Abraham will be better than Noah, or you'll be better than, or your kids will be better, or it's never going to happen, right? Our problem is our innate rebellion against God because we wanted to be like God. That's it. And we see this. Turn over to Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. Then they said, right, so... There's a lot of connections in here, so hopefully you can go back and read through this. But Ham's descendants, the dude that was like super disrespectful to his dad. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us what? Make a name for ourselves. They wanted to be more than what they were, right? They wanted to build a tower so they could be like God, be where God is. Have a name like God. They wanted to be like God, just like Eve heard and just like Adam did. And it says, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And it says in verse 8, so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And then it goes on 
to walk through the generations. And it ends in 1126. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And then we're going to start talking about Abram. What's God doing here? Why, why didn't God just smoke him? Like, why didn't he just get rid of him? Even at the Tower of Babel. Like, these are the people that, like, like this is where it's like, man, Ham was a bad dude. And then Ham's descendants were bad dudes. And if you go back and you read through this, like, you, it even describes one of them as being, he was the first mighty man. In other words, that, that wasn't a compliment. That was like somebody who wanted the prestige, right? And he was a city builder. And God told him to disperse. But he's like, no, we're good. I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. I'm gonna, we're going to do this. And we're going to build a tower. And we're going to... And God doesn't say, well, okay, those people were bad. These people are good. We're going to get rid of them. That's not how he's operating. He's showing his grace. He's showing undeserved merit. He goes to these people who build this tower, and he scatters them. And he says, listen, I, I know this isn't what you wanted to do, but it's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and so I'm going to scatter you. And you're going to go across the earth, you're going to be fruitful, and you're going to multiply. You're going to subdue the earth, because that's what I said for you to do, and it's going to happen. So what do we get out of this? When we get out of the first part of Genesis, this setup where God goes, I'm for you. I'm showing you grace. I know it sounds like the flood was disastrous and horrible and like a lot of death, but this is what he's doing. He's, he's revealing to us that sin does not just get solved by removing sinners. Thank God. Because otherwise, none of us would be here. Sin gets solved by sending the serpent crusher. Sin gets solved when God solves the enmity between us and Satan. When he conquers Satan, when, as Paul says, that, that Satan will be crushed under our feet. There's this hope, this thing that God is pointing to, this future time. And he goes, it's going to be good. And you're going to be back in my presence. You'll be back in the garden. That's his promise to us. And this is where he starts out Genesis. And then we're going to see next week. And now he jumps into the, the family of Abram. And we're going to walk and see God pick this family and call them his possession and care for them. So this is how we're starting this, okay? We walk through this. We're, we're looking at where Jesus is in this. Where's the gospel? Where's the good news? The good news is in God's grace. Let me pray.